episode 36, Joe. It is Super Bowl week episode, and we're going to talk a lot of football. But before we get into that, we have a great guest this week, ESPN bracketologist Joe Lenardi, kind enough to join Glass of Joe to give his expertise on March Madness and everything college basketball and brackets. That interview is coming up Thrilled to be joined this week by ESPN bracketologist Joe Lenardi. Joe, it's great to meet you. It's great to be able to talk with you. I know how busy you are, especially this time of year. So how's everything going for you? Everything under the circumstances is fantastic. I think we have to remember more than ever right now that in the, uh, in, in the department store of life, we're working in the toy department. And that is a blessing. Absolutely. And uh, first thing I wanted to talk to you about is the two best teams in the country, Baylor and Gonzaga. They have clearly separated themselves from the pack. Two-part question for you. At this moment in time, who do you think is the better team? And what would it take for Baylor to surpass Gonzaga and get that number one overall spot? I think it's closer than a lot of people think already. Uh, And then certainly last night, you know, Gonzaga – had a blip, if you will. I watched almost the entirety of their game at Pacific and they just looked flat. Yeah. And, and, and it was a late added game. Right. And you, you know, we're seeing this not, not usually in veteran teams, but uh, frankly, it just looked like they didn't care or want to be there for much of the game. Uh, And, and, and I don't think that's to be criticized as much as it is, to just be accepted as like an understood part of the landscape right now. Uh, Having said that, you know, Gonzaga is probably going to stay ahead of Baylor in the polls unless or until they lose. Cause that tends to be how rankings work. Now in terms of, of tournament evaluations, if they were to both win out, Baylor is obviously going to be piling up more quality points, if you will, than the Zags. Now, the Zags had a had a healthy lead because their non-league schedule was a good bit better. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, we lost out on the opportunity to see them play each other, right. which would have kind of settled the debate for the time being. Yes, absolutely. Um, um. So, so I think Gonzaga will hold, but I don't think it's a lock. Like, I think if both teams had one loss, let's say, uh, Baylor would absolutely be ahead of them. Uh, so if, if they do a little seesawing here down the stretch, uh, you know, I would give, I would give Baylor like a 51 49 advantage to be the number one overall seed at the end. And Uh, At the beginning of the year in October, uh, my public prediction for the national championship was Baylor over Gonzaga. Okay. So perhaps I should stick with that. Yep. And, and that way, if, if it doesn't happen, I've only been wrong once as opposed to saying something else and being wrong more than once. Very true. Um, as you look across the rest of the country, who were maybe the two or three teams that you think are best equipped to take out either the Zags or Baylor? <sighs> look, 
in a 40 minute sample size, like let's look at this analytically, it, it could happen anyway. Like Gonzaga was losing by five to Pacific True. last night with under 10 minutes to go, right? So stuff happens as the bunk, bumper sticker says in a 40 minute game played by young people in strange times. And those things happen even in regular NCAA tournaments uh, with lots of people in non-strange times. Uh, so teams that I think are very good, very good. Uh, Michigan, we'll see how they are when they come back from COVID uh, because it hasn't always worked well for teams coming back. I mean, Alabama is just rampaging through the SEC. Uh, and they have a huge one this weekend at Missouri that would pretty much end the regular season race if it's not already ended. Yep. Uh, I think Ohio State and Illinois are, are both worthy challengers. But, you know, we, we, we've seen Baylor play Illinois and – Baylor was at another level. Uh, just like we saw Gonzaga play Iowa after a long pause. Yep. And Gonzaga was really at another level. Virginia now, I'm not too. surprised by that because, look, Iowa's really fun to watch. I'm not sure if they could guard you. I haven't studied a lot of your tape. but <laughs> it, was, it wasn't bad, Joe. It wasn't bad. Can you go to your left? Because I can't. I, I can, actually, yeah. All right. Are you left-handed? I'm not now. Right. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, you know, Villanova just because they're so well coached. Yes. Like, like they're not with Gonzaga or Baylor athletically. Uh, but man, do they oh, evidence the other night not was saying they like never beat themselves and they did, which proves they're human. Uh, but they don't. Generally, uh, I'll be honest. I haven't seen enough of Houston. I'm willing to throw out East Carolina as you know a bug, mm -hmm. uh, maybe a poor choice of words. Uh, but you know they can really defend, and I could see them throwing anybody off their game. Uh, and 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 there's a lot of really good teams in the rest of the Big Twelve. I just don't think they're as good as Baylor. Because every time Baylor's getting challenged in the league, they have a five or six minute stretch, you know, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas, whomever, where they just say, uh, we have another gear and you don't. Yeah, it, it's true. It seems like a lot of those games are kind of close. And then there's a three minute spurt mm -hmm. in the second half. And it's just, it's a double digit. And, and, and that's because they can do it at either end, I think. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Now, and they're, and they're older. Yeah, they are. They're very experienced. And I'm glad you brought up teams like Michigan and Villanova and teams like that, Xavier, Clemson and others, teams that have been affected by COVID. What's been the mm -hmm. toughest part for you when you're trying to make a bracket and you have teams that have been out two, three weeks, even a month, as opposed to teams who have played all of their games? How, how challenging has that been for you? Yeah, I, I just this is going to be my mantra uh, because I can't think of a better one. I'm just reverting to common sense whenever I can. Like we're not comparing apples and apples, uh, but truth be told every year 
in certain instances, we're not comparing apples and apples. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you compare Maryland to Western Kentucky? Right? Like, do it. you know, they're never going to play each other. They're, they weren't in a tournament in, you know, Myrtle Beach or whatever. Like, like we're, 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 we're looking at unlike commodities. Uh, and, and, and I think you just have to say, okay, like the goal here is to pick the best teams for a national championship tournament. It seems to me that the best way to do that is when you can evaluate how they did against that level of competition when they played it mm-hmm. and go from there. And, and that's going to take care of most of the evaluations, even though the raw numbers are different in many cases. And then on a team like a Drake, you, you just kind of have to make an educated guess. And, you know, while in the net, you know, Drake might be a three seed and in quality wins, they might be a 23 seed. Uh, you, 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 you maybe have to play Solomon a little bit. And, you know, if the season ended today, I think Drake would be in an eight, nine game based upon how the committee has treated teams like them over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's what happened to Wofford two or three years ago. Yeah. They were seven. Seed, so, I think. So yep. They were a seven. I know they're, yeah, they were in a seven, 10 game. I forget which one they were. Yeah. Seton Hall. Um, I think they played. Seven, okay, seven, and and then they were right with Kentucky in, in the next round. Yeah, and I mean, look at the bright side. If um, you know, if Drake advances this year, one team they're not going to have to worry about is Kentucky. It's true, and uh, yeah, you mentioned Kentucky, Joe. Those blue bloods, uh, they're struggling. Kentucky, Duke, Michigan State. At this point in the season, is there is there only chance of making the tournament to win the conference championships, or with the strength of the Big Ten? And if Duke runs the rest of their regular season, do they still have a shot at the at-large? Yeah, I suppose there's a scenario for Michigan State. I don't have their schedule in front of me, but I can't imagine that they don't have another half dozen pops. Right. That they could, that they could, you know, there's really nothing to suggest that they're going to play well enough for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Like the last game I watched, they scored 37 points. Yeah, and, right. and I'm pretty sure it was a Division One game with a shot clock and a three point play. So yep. I'm just saying. Yep. Uh, you know, this is not Dean Smith four corners anymore. Uh, Duke, I actually, of all the blue bloods in trouble, they have the best path. Uh, because their underlying numbers are still pretty good, and let's be honest the S- the ACC is not very good by its own standards yes. okay like usually there's two or three final four contenders in the ACC I'm yes. not sure there are any maybe Virginia right so, yeah so, Florida State maybe yeah, yeah you're right they're on po- so you know whenever I'm ready to buy they take them off the market for two weeks mm-hmm. uh so in, in, in Duke's case, I think they're in a good spot in the sense that they have wins that aren't, that are going to look pretty good, mm-hmm. but aren't as hard to get as usual. Right. Now you can't lose to Miami on the road when you're a bubble team, when half of Miami's team is not in uniform. 
but 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 like Duke still of all those teams, Duke's in Duke still has the better players. Mm-hmm. So I could see them winning five of six. I, I I can't see Michigan State winning five of six. I, I can't see Kentucky winning five of six. Like the number of teams that are five and eleven that then go five and one against major conference competition is is not a long list. Yeah. So you know they're they're not going to make it. Uh, Michigan State is is not going to make it. Uh, at least one of Duke or Carolina is probably not going to make it. Maybe they all don't make it, and Duke, Carolina, Michigan State, and Kentucky is the NIT Final Four. Who knows? <laughs> that would be and I don't even know that we're going to have an NIT. So Yeah, that's true. That's true. Right? Um, and, and that would be sad for that next tier of teams. Definitely. Um, one of the teams you brought up that are rolling right now is my alma mater, Alabama. Like you said, they're 10-0 and in the SEC. And, Joe, they play LSU the other night. They win the game by 20, and I don't even feel like they played that well. I mean, Herb Jones didn't do much. John Petty didn't really do much. Have they been the biggest surprise to you this season? I know Ohio State's been good. Drake's been great. But, I mean, you know, I, I can't imagine many people saw him go 10-0 and in SEC play. Yeah, certainly at, at uh, the, the upper highest level of, of the game this season – they've been the biggest surprise. I mean, I'm sure nobody thought Drake was going to be 17 and 0 or whatever they are. And, you know, um, and, and there are others, um, good surprises and bad surprises. And I'm, I'm also not in the camp that thinks that the sec is weak. Although that seems to be a, you know, people are going, wow, you know, there's, there's no Kentucky this year. I'm like, yeah, there is. It's just an Alabama. (laughs) Right. Right. Like if if Kentucky was 10 and 0 and steamrolling the league, people would go, man, that's a really good league. It's true. Right. Because, you know, you, your your flag bearers get the attention. Definitely. And 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 and, and you know, some may have seen uh, last night. I, I I guess I got into a little social media thing debating Ohio State and Alabama as as a number one seed and look, I think it's really close. Um, and I don't have anything against Ohio state and the big 10 is, is better than the sec, mm-hmm. but there's no doubt in my mind that if the committee met today and had to put out a bracket in an hour that they would take the 10 and O team from the sec over the nine and four team out of the big 10, that there's just no doubt in my mind based upon the way the committee looks at it. I have no idea who's better. And anybody who says they know is delusional. You you know, other than I I think if the two of them played best of seven on a neutral court, it would be a long series. Yeah. Okay. Two really good Uh, teams. No, on Twitter, I saw you were making, at the end of the day, it would be like, one's the one seed, one's the two seed. And it would just be about which jersey color they wear. I mean, that's, that's what it would come down to. Look, their status and being a one seed, and, and theoretically you get a little bit of an easier path, mm-hmm. theoretically. But like, suppose you're the two, and and, and y- you know the ten and the eleven make the Sweet Sixteen, and that's your path to the Elite Eight. Like it happens, it happens. Um, and the one has to play the eight, and the, and the four, and the ten. Like it happens. Yep. Uh, so I'm not going to get too wiggy about that and and there's still enough 
miles left on the road that both of these teams will show us where they belong. And maybe it's neither of them. Maybe it's not. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, Joe, usually there's two of us uh, conducting these interviews. My buddy's in a dentist chair right now, but he went to the University of Maryland. So I wanted to make sure I got in the Terps question for him. A bunch of our listeners are Terps fans as well. They're obviously on the bubble right now. He just wanted to know how will the committee in your eyes weigh a possible Big Ten team like that with so many quality wins and a league that's just been cannibalizing itself all season to other conferences like the Western Kentuckys that you mentioned and, and teams like that? Well, the first thing I would do as a Maryland fan at the dentist is ask for extra Novocaine <laughs> because, you know, that is a roller coaster ride. They have unbelievable wins, including three upper level quad one wins on the road. Yes. Uh, what was it? Uh, it was Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, and Illinois. Wisconsin and, and Illinois. Yeah. Right. And they just got another big one at home. Yeah. Against, against Purdue. Purdue. Yep. Well, they're at Penn State tonight, Friday night. A uh, huge bubble game for both. Sure is. And uh, uh, you can tell your buddy that I fully expect Maryland to lose and be in first four out in the morning. I'm sure he does too. Yes. <laughs> if you ask him, I'm sure he does too. Many look at them. Yeah. Generally speaking, when you pile up big wins like that, you get an extra benefit of the doubt. And probably should. Yes. Um, when we look at players, we know Luca Garza is the best player in the country. He's the heart and soul of Iowa. Outside of him, which player do you think is going to be the most important to his team's success come March? Well, I think the most valuable player in the country is Jared Butler of Baylor. Okay. Uh, shooting numbers are off the chart. He creates for everybody and he keys a top three defensive team. Uh, and, and is clearly a leader. And, and, and I think, you know, has like final four MVP potential. Uh, you know, you could name two or three guys from Gonzaga. Uh, 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 I always say it wrong. DeSumo of Illinois is, yes. you know, kind of their engine. Uh, if Villanova makes a deep run, it's going to be because Colin Gillespie does his Archie Diacono imitation uh, and, and, and so on down the line. The, the guys you mentioned at Alabama, you know, they could ill afford to lose Jones or Petty. There's the other uh, Jones at Texas, uh, who's really – Cade Cunningham yeah. is probably as impactful as any one player on any team. Evan Mobley, another freshman, kind of under the radar at Southern Cal. Uh, they have a chance to take over the Pac-12 lead this weekend. Uh with their first of two games against UCLA. So there are definitely guys out there who are ringing the bell. <laughs> um, Joe, yeah, one last question for you. We end all our interviews with the rapid fire segment and a trivia question. Before I ask you those, uh -oh. I, uh, yeah, all of our guests enjoy those. Before, I just wanted to get in inside your, your head and just ask you what the toughest part of making the bracket itself is. Is it just determining who those last four teams are? Is it trying to figure out what seed certain teams should be? Is it, you know, 
figuring out how much movement you drop a team or you move up a team depending on their win, or is it something else? Great question. Uh, I, I think at the end of the day, PJ, it is putting my own opinion over off to the side and trying to be them. Yes. Meaning be the committee, mm-hmm. right? Because like I can go, well, I'm taking Western Kentucky over Maryland because yeah, Maryland has four great wins, but they had 17 times, 17 games at that level and they lost the other 13. Right. Right. Yeah. But that might be my opinion. Sure. I have to put that off to the side and and you would think it would be second nature by now, but it is not because I'm human too. <laughs> and, and, you know, all right, what are those 10 people likely to think as a group? Because fundamentally that is my job. Right. Is to project what they're going to do, not what I would do. And, and, and it's like a Venn diagram. They overlap a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. But in my best years, I'm them and not me. Yeah. Great answer. I like that. If if that makes any sense. Absolutely. It does. Um, All right, Joe. So Swift seven is what we call it up first. Seven rapid fire questions for you. The first one is better conference, big 12 or big 10. Big 10. Deeper. Yeah. Question number two, the most underrated team in the country is. Loyola Chicago. Okay. Well, I'm glad you said that because question number three was who's the better Missouri Valley team, Loyola Chicago or Drake. I don't know yet. I haven't seen Drake enough. They play in a, in a couple weeks, don't they? Maybe next, next weekend week. they play, they play back to back. Oh, that's going to yeah. be good. Um, number Are you four- allowed to give an, I don't know to a rapid fire. Uh, you absolutely are. If you'd like to, yeah, I don't know. I like it. What would be the matchup in the tournament that you would most want to see besides Gonzaga Baylor? <laughs> uh, well, after my Twitter encounter last night, how about Alabama and Ohio State? <laughs> there you go. There you go. It was just like a rematch of the championship game. Um, number five, a dark horse team that would win the whole thing is. The beginning of the week, I would have said Houston. Yeah. Uh, as kind of like this year's Dayton. Uh, I also picked Creighton in my preseason final four. So maybe I should stick with them. Uh, they can really, I, they can really score. They're like Iowa, you know, they, they can score with yeah, anybody. They it's just, can, can they play the defense? Um, number six, what is They're your... better on defense than Iowa. That's true, yeah. What is Which your is fit... kind of like me saying, I'm taller than that guy in Fantasy Island. <laughs> What's your favorite NCAA tournament game of all time? Just the first one that comes to your head. Well, I was at the Leitner game, sitting right at midcourt. Okay. So, yeah, that's, that, that one, that's tough to that's beat. pretty that pretty well says it all. That's pretty good. And last question, the Swift 7, Joe, when it's not college basketball season, what do you do to pass the time? I play golf very badly, but very often. 
Oh, nice. All right. Good stuff. And your trivia question, Joe Lenardi. I think I found There's a good one for in you. This call. You're going to like it. Uh, so each of our guests, we give them 90 seconds and three strikes to try and get the question. So, so yours is since 2010, there have been five schools that have made the final four in back-to-back years. One team has made it back-to-back years two separate times. So if you can give me four out of the five schools since 2010, I will, I will give it to you. Okay. Wisconsin. 2014 and 2015, that is correct. Uh, Kansas. Kansas did not make it back-to-back. Ooh, a strike. Carolina. Yes, North Carolina, 2016, 2017. So you got two. You need two more. Duke. No, Duke did not make it back-to-back years. Ooh. Yes. Yeah, the one's right. One strike. You got 50 seconds left, so you got plenty of time. Michigan State. No, not Michigan State. No. Not Michigan State, no. So the other three were you got Carolina and you got Wisconsin – Kentucky made it two separate times back to back. I didn't say Kentucky. Oh, I didn't thought I had said Kentucky. Didn't All say right, Kentucky. And then, uh, and then Louisville made it back to back years. And then yeah, I was going to go Louisville and Michigan next. I thought I had said Kentucky. Okay. And then, All uh, right. and you then yeah, the, the last one was, was Butler with those Brad Stevens teams. They made it back to back final four. Oh, 10 and 11. I thought it was nine and 10. Yep. 10 uh, that's a good one. Yep. Yep. So, Joe, I appreciate it. Anyone who knows me knows March Madness is my favorite thing. So to be able to talk hoops with you for, uh, for 25 minutes is really, really cool. I appreciate it. Uh, I look forward to watching you on TV and all your brackets that come out uh, over the next month. Thank you. All right. My pleasure. Once again, a man that probably needs no introduction to many <laughs> people, Joe Lenardi, ESPN Bracketologist. Joe, I'm happy a, to be the second best Joe on the show this week. Well, I Joe. joked with them before we were recording. I'm like, you know, my co-host would have loved to be here, but we have a role. If there's only <laughs> one Joe allowed per episode. <laughs> Tell that to Joe Beninati, who's come on twice, though, that's, too. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. So I guess we make exceptions for certain people. But again, kind enough for Joe Lenardi, who's obviously so busy this time of year, to join us. And uh, Joe, to me, there were a couple interesting things that stood out. And the first one being just how close Gonzaga and Baylor are to each other, which I kind of figured because Gonzaga had all those great non-conference wins earlier on in the year. But I wish knew, they would have played Villanova this weekend as it was. Or even to Houston. I mean, Nova would have been a great game, but yeah. one, of, one of those two teams. Um but obviously Baylor being in the Big 12 now, all the big wins that they've accumulated. He said it's close. I mean, if Gonzaga were to slip up, then Baylor's obviously knocking right there. It'll be interesting to see if these two teams play in their conference tournaments because there's a lot of talk right now about the risk of teams that are locked to play and do you even play to risk getting COVID and not playing in March Madness. So if they do play and say Baylor beats Texas Tech again, they beat Kansas again, they beat Texas again, I mean, they're going to have a lot of great wins. And if they're both undefeated, come down to it, we'll see what happens. But again, this year, 
this year when everything's in Indianapolis, they're going to be the top two teams anyway. Of course. So, but uh, yeah, the number one overall seed is an interesting argument, especially if Gonzaga slips up. Now, it's Joe Lenardi's word against Joe Malfa's word, and then ten times out of ten, I'm going with Joe Lenardi's word. But I personally think that Baylor could catch them even if Gonzaga doesn't lose. Gonzaga, Gonzaga almost slipped up the other night, and John Rothstein sent out the tweet like, Gonzaga's biggest opponent right now is human nature. They are bored out of their minds. Uh, that, that's what Rothstein said yesterday, and it resonated with me. But if you look at Baylor's schedule, they're on pause for, for like a week now due to COVID. But their next scheduled game is next Saturday the 13th against Texas Tech, number 13. After that, they have a home and home with West Virginia, number 17, has been a top 10 team this year. And they got Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and they close with Kansas before the Big 12 tournament. Again, may or may not play in that, like you said. But just look at their schedule. One, two, three, four, five, six games left. One, two, three, four games against ranked teams remaining. Yeah. So they go ahead and need to do that. Put that resume up against Gonzaga's resume. You know, you do a blind resume of the two, and you're absolutely picking Baylor as the one seed. Now, when you reveal which team is which and you're like, oh, Gonzaga is a more traditional basketball school than Baylor is. And, oh, Gonzaga just happens to be in a weaker conference. So that's why their schedule is not as good. But forget all that. Blind resume. You look at that. Those two teams, if Baylor runs the table, Baylor should be the number one overall seed. They should. And one of those two games that they're not playing because they have COVID, like you mentioned, is at Oklahoma, which is another quad one win, another great game. So Baylor, just like you said, I mean, Gonzaga's great wins are Kansas, Iowa, and Virginia. All the early season ones. And those were great wins. Yeah, great wins. But again, I mean, Baylor's beaten Kansas already. They're getting another chance to play them. And then Texas Tech, Oklahoma, a lot of good team. Texas in that conference, a lot of good ones. Um, so that I thought was very interesting. And I agree with them. I just don't think a lot of people realize how close that is. Another one uh, that we were talking about, Joe, was with Luke Garza and Iowa. And he said, I asked him, I said, besides Garza, who's another player that you think is most important to their team's success? And he's like, I'd argue that even ahead of Garza, he said Jared Butler to Baylor. Yeah. He's on my fantasy everything. team, actually. He's on my. I did a college basketball fantasy team this year, and yeah. Butler's my, he's been carrying me. But uh, for listeners who are like wondering why PJ is recapping the Lenardi interview for me right now, I was in the orthodontist chair, and that's why I missed the interview. And this was our the only time that we could record today, so I haven't even seen the Lenardi interview. <laughs> yes. I, PJ is PJ is currently relaying. I'm feeding you. I'm relaying you so, what happened. So I'm just hitting the ground running here. If, if it sounds like PJ is regurgitating what Lenardi, uh, you, you just heard him say because this was the only time we could record. I haven't watched that interview yet. I'm gonna watch it after this. So that's why. First of all, side note: it sounds like he's regurgitating what was just said. Anyway. Um, I could see that. And the, the thing with Baylor, though, Baylor's deeper than people realize. Yes. And because they're deeper than people realize, I think that, you know, he, go, he goes ahead and gets in foul trouble early on, right? I think they could still be fine depending on the opponent. If Garza's out, sure, they got Wieskamp. Sure, they got Bohannon, who could just drain threes from anywhere. But so much of their game is going from inside out. You feed Garza in, he kicks it out to one of those guys for an open three. I would say Garza. Um, but the case could certainly be made. And, and I think it just boils down to though, the, the way both teams play stylistically, Iowa stylistically is more reliant on Garza in every capacity. He's there, obviously their entire low block game. And the reason they could hit threes the way they do is because he feeds it out there. I think Baylor could get away with, you know, losing Butler for a dozen minutes in a game because of foul trouble in a way that Iowa can't. And, you know, we, we just saw Ohio state take down 
Iowa the other night. Like, I think Iowa can be had if you neutralize Garza. We've seen that this year. We've seen them lose games. And because they don't play great defense, Iowa as a team, if you just go ahead and get into uh, a shootout with them, you need Garza to be clicking on all cylinders because yeah. if you if you have a couple of empty possessions, you're gone. So Plus, I, I would I would go Garza, but the case could certainly be made. Plus, like you said, their defense isn't great. And when you lose a seven-footer out on the floor, exactly. it obviously exactly. doesn't help things. But I would agree with you. If we're comparing Garza to Butler, I would lean more towards Garza because, like you said, Iowa, who's their number two guy? I mean, yeah. you could argue maybe it's Bohannon, maybe it's Toussaint who they bring off the bench. But Baylor, I mean, they got Mitchell, who's honestly maybe just as good as <laughs> yeah. Butler. He's really good, too. An under-the-radar guy I'd give you is Mac McClung at Texas Tech. I was going to say that. I was going to say that I can't wait for this game coming up next week, Baylor and Texas Tech again, that team he has carried that team. That team that made the finals uh, under Chris Beard had Culver, and he was mm-hmm. their guy. And this team isn't as good as that Texas Tech team was. But I feel like now that he has that closer in McClung, he could carry them in games down the stretch. So I argue that uh, maybe two of the most important players to their teams in the country are in the Big 12. Look, when it comes down to the tournament, the two things that you want to see in teams are a big and a closer. And Iowa has the big and Texas Tech and McClung is the closer. So both of those guys fill one of those cornerstone pieces you need. Uh, but there, look, there's plenty of guys you could bring up. But for me, it's always going to come back to Garza. Now, as I said, you're regurgitating to me what happened. I'm reacting to it essentially live. Uh, the two other questions that I saw that you had asked him that I, I wanted to hear about specifically, who's his dark horse? And what did he say about my Terps? Okay. So <laughs> his dark horse, uh, let's see, his dark horse team to win the whole thing. Yes. So he said he would have picked Houston okay. had they uh, – if, but, you know, they just dropped uh, to East Carolina, so now he's, he's on them. But then he said, uh, he said Creighton. He, okay. I mean, and we know right. Zagorowski is one of our yeah. favorite players. They play great Let's offense just like Iowa, a little better defense than Iowa. So he said maybe Creighton. Um, and then the Terps, he said uh, big bubble game tonight huge. against Penn State. And we're absolutely going to lose that game. But and huge. that's what he said. He said he's <laughs> <Great>. fully expecting <laughs> – to wake up and uh, Saturday morning before the slate of games, put the Terps in the last four. We out. haven't won at Penn State since 2015. Now, I'll tell you what, though. Uh, the reason why teams go into Penn State and lose is because it's so weird playing there because it's a big arena and they don't have fans there ever. So it's just like a weird, empty, cavernous situation. It's dark, too. Like, it's it not does. lighted very it does. well. It's, it's a weird place to play because it's so quiet because they don't have – they've never been a basketball team. Yeah. Or excuse me, they've never been a basketball school, so they don't get much fan support. But this year, as far as playing on the road, of all the environments in the Big Ten that have been so drastically different, like Assembly Hall empty, it's going to feel normal going into Penn State's <laughs> arena. So if anything, maybe this is the year that Maryland does get the win, but I'm not hopeful. Um, I think, you know, it's just a bad matchup for Maryland, even though Maryland's been so good on the road this year. Uh, I love how we looked against Purdue the other night. I love that Eric Ayala out of nowhere turned into a closer. I don't think that's going to be a consistent thing, uh, but I just think Penn State this year, you've seen them knock off some bigger teams at home. Um, not hopeful And they're tonight. not ranked, so the Terps no. can't beat, you know, no. unranked and, teams. And, 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 like, I'm hopeful that maybe Maryland can somehow muster up an upset against Ohio State, and that might be the final thing they need. Okay. A win against a top, potentially top five team, depending on how the rankings fall. That could be the final thing they need to get into the tournament. 
but yeah, it's, it's, it's been a fun ride for the Terps this year. I hope it ends in getting into the tournament because there's a team this year that everybody who's in the tournament as a one through four seed, who's watching the bubble. I think Maryland's a team that you're hoping has their bubble burst because you don't want to, you don't want to see a team that can be as shrieky from three as they are. Uh, It's, it's just, it's, it reminds me not quite because it's obviously two different teams, but it reminds me kind of, if you remember uh, a few years back when it was a Syracuse Monmouth and Monmouth was left out, Syracuse was put in and Syracuse made a final four run. Now that was a fluke final four run for Syracuse because that was the year that Michigan state, Michigan state lost uh, to was it Middle Tennessee? I think it mm-hmm. was the two fifteen. So the whole the the, the quadrant. But that's what happens. Them. You just that's get what yourself that's in. So and you never what know. I was going to say is I'm not saying that Maryland is that caliber team that they can make a Final Four run. Not at all. Not by any stretch of the imagination. Not as long as Mark Turgeon's coaching the team. But but I do think they're that team that you don't want to see in the first two rounds because they could just be dangerous. They're not capable of beating unless there's upsets around them. They're not capable of beating any of the upper echelon teams that are going to be in the Sweet Sixteen. But they could they could pull it upset. In the, well, in the they're battle tested. I mean, they faced Michigan twice, and they're not going to face many teams better than them. Um, the one more thing I'll add on Lenardi that he said was a great question that I've always been fascinated with is what the hardest part for him is when he's making the bracket. Is it just ter- determining like whether this team should be a three seed or a four seed? Is it determining who the last four teams in the tournament are? Is it trying to figure yeah. out how much teams move up and down depending on when they lose or win? And he said for him, the toughest part of making the bracket is just putting out brackets from his own personal beliefs. So putting his own human element out of it and putting out brackets that from his experience, he knows the committee would lean towards certain things. So he said last night, there was a big argument for people didn't understand why Ohio state wasn't a one seed and why Alabama was a two seed. And he said, I promise you if the committee was filling out a bracket today and they saw a 10 and O team in the sec, there's not a doubt in my mind, they would be on the one line. He's like, I don't know whether Alabama is better than Ohio State, but I know that even though Ohio State it plays in the Big Ten, they're nine and four, they've got great wins. He's like that ten and zero mark would put yeah. Alabama in the one seed, and I thought it's a great point because I've always wondered that because he you're probably, a Alabama guy. <laughs> well, yeah, but uh, no, in the terms of that, I'm sure when he's studying these teams and he's making the bracket, he falls in love with certain Absolutely. underdogs and mid majors. And you just, you know, you got to put like that Drake, aside. for example, like Drake, you got you to exactly. put Drake aside this year. As much as we love them, they're a top 25 team. They're so dangerous. They could be that team that makes that Cinderella run this year. If it comes down to Drake or, um, I mean, off the top of my head, just depending on how the rest of the season goes, are Rutgers, right? And it's like, all right, which of these two teams is going to be on that five line? And which of these two teams is going to be on a seven line? I don't know, just throw it out a scenario. They're probably going to lean towards putting Rutgers higher than Drake, just because it's a conference that's cannibalized itself this year. Uh, There's really no such thing as a bad loss this year in the conference, unless you lose to Nebraska and nobody's lost to Nebraska. So unless you lose (laughs) to Nebraska, there's no bad loss in the big 10 and they're witness in the conference. So uh, it's one of those things where they'll probably go that way, even though we human nature would lean towards the better story, the higher ranked team and Drake the committee will put a Rutgers. Now I'm not saying, again, that's just a, a very loose example that I threw out, but as far as conceptualizing it, 
but that's that's what it comes down to. So that's that's an interesting yeah. It was point. it was a great conversation though. All of our guests, we could obviously talk to them for hours, but a guy like Lenardi, I'm just yeah. like, so tell me, why is this team a three C? <laughs> why? I mean, you know, with him, you could just we could do four hours going oh. through each of his brackets that he does every other day of like Absolutely. what his rationale is. And I can't wait to, after we record this, because again, this was the only time we could record to actually watch that interview that you well, sent me because I haven't seen it yet either. <laughs> well, Joe, and it was awesome. It was awesome too. After uh, I interviewed him like 30 minutes later, I get the ESPN alert that his new bracket came out. I'm like, that's just <laughs> awesome. That is new bracket just got released. So that uh, was a lot, a lot of fun. Thanks again, right. to Joe, for well, joining us. But March Madness, we still got another yes. month for that, well, look, Joe. We lied to you all last week. We said last week that we were going to put our football caps on exclusively this week. And then Joe Lenardi comes out of the blue and, and, and is, is able to come onto our podcast. So when he says yes, you kind of throw away the plans that you had. So we apologize for lying to you last <laughs> week. That would be an all-football episode. We hope you were happy that it wasn't because it meant we got Joe Lenardi. Exactly. Um, and now it's time to shift to football. Uh, also in the past week, Arenado got traded to the Cardinals. We'll get to that more next week. Those kind of things that they're not really pressing things right now, but they're big things. That's for next week. For this week, finally, like we said last week, it's time for the football caps. Yeah. And PJ, we are finally here. It's a year that we didn't think we would get through entirely to the Super Bowl, but we're at the Super Bowl. It's amazing. And I am excited for it because oh, you've got yeah. GOAT versus probably future GOAT. Um, think of historically, like a few years ago, it was my freshman year of college. Uh, so that makes it February or January, February of 2017. I stayed up all night till like 4 a.m. It was Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal in the Australian Open final. Yes. And that was a huge legacy match because it's a two final swing. Either Federer would gain a, a major one on Nadal or Nadal would gain one on him. Huge, big swing. And then he would go in the French. Yep. <laughs> and then now here we are again. Similar thing. Either Brady gets to seven, which means that Mahomes would need six more to catch him. Yep. Or he stays at six and Mahomes gets to two and he needs four more to catch him. And he's got so the head to head. Huge, huge yeah. legacy, legacy. It, thing it is. It is. That Australian Open, I remember it well. My roommate in college was a huge tennis guy and he, he would stay up at 3 a.m. and watch yeah. the Australian Open. And I'm like, when I saw it was Nadal Federer in the final, I'm like, Colin, I'm like, it's at 5.30 a.m. when this goes to five sets, because it'll go to five sets. Yeah. I said, knock on my door and wake me up. And he's like, okay. And I watched the whole, and it was it was great. I stayed but, up for the whole thing. I skipped all my classes the next day, but it was worth it. it but I'm <laughs> with you. This, this matchup just has the greatness feel to it. We said two weeks ago, we were like, as long as the Chiefs win, whether it's the Packers or Bucks, the storyline with Rodgers or Brady is going to be great. Incredible. And and it is the fact that, uh, you know, the Bucks are the first team to play in their home stadium adds a little something to it. Joe, as I'm breaking down this game, though, I really like the under at, at 56. And I just think it's more because the defenses are, I think, better than people realize it. The, the offense obviously gets all the headlines for both teams. But when these two teams played early on in week one, uh, week 12, week 13, the regular season, it was 27-24. The Chiefs scored 17 points in the first quarter and then scored 10 the rest of the game. They definitely let the, their foot off the gas That's a little bit. Yeah. But, um, but with the way both of these teams can stop the run and maybe just limit the big plays against one, one another, I think this could be a game in, in the mid-20s, maybe the high 20s. But I, I think the under might be the play here. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, we'll get to the picks later on. Again, best bets this week is uh, 
either the total or the game itself, plus five props. So we'll get there. I, I've wavered on this one because of that game that was 27-24. Um, I'm going to ultimately say over just because I think thinking back to that game and watching that game, both teams left more opportunities on the field that they could have capitalized on to score. And I think in the Super Bowl, everybody's locked in. I, I don't think those opportunities go by the wayside. I think both of these teams with those two quarterbacks, they capitalize on those situations in a way they didn't then. And also keep in mind, the Bucks after that game had their bye week. And since then they haven't lost and their offense has been totally different because that's when Antonio Brown started to kind of kick into gear. Antonio Brown is playing. We don't know how limited he might be on Sunday, but they've been a totally different offense since then. So I'm looking at it as since their offense has been better since then, both defenses granted underrated, like you said, since their offense has been better since then, I think they have the ability to get into the upper twenties. And because they have the ability to put pedal to the metal a little bit more since then, the Chiefs will match that, and I think both teams get into the 30s. And that's my that's the only rationale I have for it. The Bucks are better now than they were in Week 12. They had the bye week. They haven't lost since then. Their offense got better. They score in the upper 20s instead of just 24. The Chiefs are my pick to win the game. If the Bucks are scoring in the upper 20s, that means the Chiefs got to get into the 30s, and math tells you that's an over. So that's the only rationale that I've got for it, but I, I, I do lean over. I think if the Chiefs are behind, then the over is a really good play because we know if they're behind double digits, then they're going to get mad. They're going to go bananas. If they're leading, then they tend to slow it down a little bit. But the problem with that, though, is they're playing the number one rushing defense in the Bucs. So even – I get that line of thinking, but even if they get ahead, it's a Super Bowl. All bets are off. I I could see Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy just saying more 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 like I don't see them in this game turning to Clyde Edwards Alaire who missed so much time and doesn't seem to be 100% or to Daryl Williams who's not really proven I see them just saying here you're probably the best quarterback of all time already even though you're in your third full year as a starter just just do your thing that's it and if that's the case against the number one rushing defense even if they get ahead I think they just throttle down and they keep going so that's that's the other thing that kind of crept into my mind where I just don't see it being as slow of a game as the first time these teams played. And again, for as slow and, and somewhat sloppy of a, of a game that was 27, 24, that's still 51. You were one score away from hitting that over. So I, I would lean towards that. And if you remember in that game, the way it ended, the chiefs got the ball from the bucks late and they could have scored again, but they just put a perfect methodical drive and ran the clock out. So mm-hmm. they still could have scored again if they, if they had, had broken a big play or something. So I, I will go with the over ultimately. You know, also, can we please get Eric Bieniemy off the Chiefs? I mean, they're <laughs> going to have him again next year. Like, do, do, does anybody want to beat this team? I, I just, yeah, they, they keep having their coaching staff intact. Um, yeah, this matchup, it worries me a little bit, Joe, that it seems like everybody's on the Chiefs. I just feel like everywhere I look, look, everybody's like, it's tough to bet against Brady, especially in a Super Bowl, but the Chiefs are the better team, and it just worries me a little it's bit. unstoppable force, immovable object. Unstoppable force, immovable object. Tom Brady is that immovable object who's been a thorn in everybody's side for two decades, and the Chiefs seem like that unstoppable force that will become that next dynasty. And I... I have gone back and forth on my game pick in the same way that I've gone back and forth on my over pick. Um, the, the two tackles being out for the chiefs worries a little bit. 
Yeah. But they've kind of filled in for those guys, it seems. Um, and, and then on the, on the Bucks side, just, all right, Alante David, yes, no, seems like he is. Um, Antoine Winfield Jr., yes, no, kind of seems like he is. So, like, there's certain injury question marks that kind of go both ways. Antonio Brown, how much are we going to see him? So there are questions left to be answered there. As far as the matchup itself, like, we saw it already once. We know what to expect. I think the Chiefs are it, – it's a very favorable matchup for the Chiefs, I think. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on that's flown way under the radar, hasn't been talked about nearly enough, is Steve Spagnuolo. Javi's done with this defense, first of all, and his track record against Brady. I saw the stat uh, against all defensive coordinators that Tom Brady has faced a minimum of three times. That is the only defensive coordinator that he's faced a minimum of three times that he has a losing record against. He is mm. two and three against Spagnuolo coach defenses. He has nine touchdowns. He's been sacked 13 times. He lost that Super Bowl when they were going for perfection against Spagnuolo. Yeah. So that's something that's flown away under the radar. The last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of talk about, okay, when it was Bucks against Washington football team, he's great against Jack Del Rio. When it was Bucks against the Packers, he's historically great against Mike Pettin. Well, now he's historically bad against Steve Spagnuolo. Under the radar thing. Smells like an under to me. Uh, <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm talking into your under. Um, I but, like it. But I, I, I do think the, the Chiefs come out on top. Um, the, I was listening to, to another former guest of the show, Mike Greenberg, this morning on, on his radio show. On my way to the orthodontist office, why I miss Joe Lenardi. Um, and and he, he posed a great question. For all the talk of, oh, you can't bet against Brady, can you bet against Mahomes? I mean, he, the question he posed, if you were to take any quarterback in the history of the NFL at their peak, at their peak, would you pick any of those or would you pick current Pat Mahomes? Any quarterback uh, in the history of the NFL at their peaks – Versus I'd, where Mahomes is right now. I'd still take Brady if I had one one still game. Would? I, I, still I would, would take Mahomes. I would take I current present-day Patrick Mahomes. I would put up against any single quarterback at their peak. I'm taking He would Mahomes. be too, but I'd Brady's track But that's the thing. Just... I, the question I'm asking is peak. Is Tom Brady – Well, right. That's why I like the Chiefs peak, in the game. Though. Yes. That's why I like the Chiefs in the so game. But I, in their I, peak – I could see that argument of, of peak Tom Brady. But the, the funny thing about that argument is Tom Brady never won a Super Bowl when Tom Brady was at his peak. Those years when he was at his peak was was their nine-year Super Bowl drought. And then as he was getting towards the end of that peak is when they won three more. So that's the interesting thing. Like that year they went undefeated, lost the Super Bowl. So in, and in there, they, they made long runs. They lost to your Ravens in a title game. They lost to the Broncos. They lost to the, uh, to the Colts. Like they, they lost a lot of AFC title games. Within that, they lost to the Jets in the divisional round that year, 2010. So when he was at his quote-unquote peak, they never won a Super Bowl. They won it before he reached his peak and after, which is interesting. That's the thing. The dude's won six Super Bowls, and he didn't yeah. get one in a 10-year span. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It's absurd. Uh, it's gonna be. It's gonna be a great game, though. Um, what do you think it comes down to? Deciding factor. Red zone offense and yeah. red zone defense always. I, I, I tell you, in these big games, especially with offenses like these, you saw it in against the Browns, and you saw it against. The Bills. The reason the Browns had a chance in that game was because their red zone defense was playing tough. The Chiefs had 22 points 
Bucker had to kick four field goals. Yeah. So, and then in the Bills game, the Chiefs were just scoring touchdowns and they were scoring touchdowns. And the Bills so, were kicking field goals from the 60-yard line instead of McDermott going. Exactly. Goals, so. <laughs> and then and then you look at the Bucks Packers game. The Packers had one of the best historic red zone offenses we've ever yeah. seen and the Bucks in the red zone were fantastic. Mm-hmm. They won the game because they didn't give up that touchdown in the I'll last what, drive. That's one thing I'm looking forward to in this game. For all the in the, in the past couple of weeks we saw Lafleur kicking the field goals we saw McDermott kicking the field goals Arians Reed yes they do not aggressive dude they always go for it so I'm so excited to not see a field goal from the three yard line in this game now I'm not liking the under anymore I was exactly. liking it in Stagnola, but <laughs> see, that's now what I'm saying. I've, I've, I've talked myself forth. back and forth on the over <laughs> and the under all week and I finally said all on the over because the more I talk through it the more points to the over I can find for myself yeah so. no but red zone I'm telling you if you're watching this game early on and the Chiefs get inside the 10, and they're forced to kick field goals, you got to like that if you're a Tampa Bay fan. Absolutely. And if Tampa Bay's driving down the field, and they're settling for field goals, you got to like that if you're a Kansas City fan. To me, that that's these playoff games, when you get to this time of the year, the talent level, the gap, it's really not that big. And it's, it's almost it's, nothing. It's nothing, especially with two teams like this, two quarterbacks like this. So it's all about who's kicking field goals, who's scoring touchdowns. And I think Kansas City will score a few more touchdowns than Tampa Bay will and and win the game. Mahomes gets his second Super Bowl in a row and probably not his last. Probably not his last for <laughs> sure. I'll hold off on a score prediction until we get to the end of our uh, our best bets. I think it's time we get into that for the last time, PJ. Yes, wow. In this football season. Damn, I've this got is a seven, sad. I've got a seven-pick lead on you. We only got six picks, so I am still the winner. I just want to remind you of that fact. But you still got to finish strong after an 0-5 championship Sunday, so I'll let you go first. Remember, five props and then the game, whether it's the total or uh, the pick itself. Uh, so we'll start with the five props, and you can go ahead. All right. Well, you mentioned that the Bucks have the number one ranked rush defense in the NFL, but I'm still going with the Chiefs running back plus 190. I like Clyde Edwards a layer to score a touchdown. Okay. Necessarily don't know if it's going to be rushing, but I do think in these Super Bowl games, we've seen the kind of postseason that um, Darrell Williams has had already in the Super Bowl last year the Chiefs had three rushing touchdowns I believe Mahomes had one and then I think their running backs had two so in these big games Andy Reid's not afraid in those goal line situations to lean on the running backs especially you've mentioned with the tackles that Kansas City is going to be missing the offensive line help Mahomes maybe doesn't have as much time to throw how do you neutralize a great pass rush like Tampa Bay has you run the ball. So I think Clyde uh, finds the end zone and scores a touchdown at plus 190. That's an interesting one because, yes, you neutralize that pass rush by running it, but they also have the number one rushing defense. So you're kind of almost wasting a play That's if you true. go ahead yeah. and, and you run the ball. So it's an interesting one. Um, my fifth of the of the props that I'm going with, it's more of a uh, just sort of trend thing that's got good odds to it here. Um Think back to last season, the Chiefs went down by two scores, by double digits, actually, in every game and route to the Super Bowl. Yeah. This year, they went up on the Browns, but they did go down by nine to the Bills. So at plus 260, at plus 260, Bucks score first and lose. Bucks score first and lose, plus 260. Just going with the trend of how many times we've seen the Chiefs go down 
and then come back and win. So plus 260, Bucks score first, Chiefs win the game. That's a those odds. That's actually really good. Plus two sixty. Mine uh, number five is uh, and my fourth of the prop bets is Tyree Kill longest catch over twenty seven and a half yards. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, look, Hill. He's the best deep threat in the NFL. Even if he catches a slant pass, he can go for eighty yards. Absolutely. So I just figure with the with the game he had the first time these two teams, he had two hundred yards in the first quarter. I don't think he does that this time around. No. But I don't think Tampa Bay shuts him down either. So I think you gotta like your chances of him catching a ball at least over thirty yards. But they got it at twenty seven and a half. My number five overall fourth prop is Tom Brady. Under 39 and a half pass attempts at minus 110. So Tom Brady this year in nine of 19 games has gone uh, under 40 pass attempts. I believe it was. No, I'm sorry. Uh, in nine of 19, he went over. So in 10 of the 19, he went under. So just, just over 50% that he went under that total. And the Chiefs this year, they have only allowed a quarterback against them has only thrown the ball more than 40 times, five times. And that in almost every case, it was because of the fact that the chiefs were up by a bunch in the fourth quarter and mm-hmm. garbage time. I don't see this game having garbage time. I think it's going to be tight until the end. So I go under 39 and a half passing attempts for Tom Brady. Like that one as well. My number four is uh, Cameron Bray over three receptions for the bucks. Dawson Knox had six the other day for a couple weeks ago for the Bills, their tight end. The Browns, Njoku, had like one of his best games of the season. He had four or five catches. Austin Hooper had a couple catches. And Cameron Brady's been a touchdown guy here in the postseason. I think Brady is going to be using guys that work the middle of the field. Chris Godwin, Cameron Brady. Maybe we get a Rob Gronkowski sighting. But I think Cameron Brady over three receptions is a good bet. All right, next one for me. I'm going over two and a half kicks returned. Over two and a half kicks returned at minus 115. This season, uh, the Bucks have only had a uh, touchback rate of 60%. The Chiefs have only had a touchback rate of 80%. So in a game that's probably going to have, you figure, obviously, the, the two kickoffs for each half, and then about 10 to 12 based on the scoring, if I'm, if I'm calling it over. So you're looking at between 12 and 14 kickoffs in this game. The over-under on kicks return is two and a half. So all you got to do is take three kicks out of the end zone, and I hit that. So I'm going to go for that, considering, again, that both teams' touchback rate uh, has, been, has been rather, I guess, compared to the rest of the league, especially the Bucks at 60% low. Buck right 80 is up there, but 60% for the – for the Bucks is, is pretty low. So I'll, I'll go with over two and a half kicks returned. Doesn't have to be for a touchdown. Just take it out of the end zone and it counts at minus 115. And my next one is um, going back to another Tampa Bay receiver. I love Chris Godwin. I love all his overs for props, receptions, receiving yards, Agreed. score a touchdown. I think this is a Chris Godwin game. Um, Kansas City secondary quietly has been really good towards the end of the season but they struggle with dudes over the middle of the field. So I think Mike Evans could have a tough game, but I think Godwin's going to excel. He had five catches for a buck 19 against the Packers and he dropped a couple. So Godwin's normally a sure handed dude. He's had some trouble with drops in the playoffs, but uh, maybe playing at his home stadium again, will give him some level of comfort. And you just got to figure that at some point in this game, Kansas city will probably be winning. And 
Brady's going to have to throw on every play during a drive. And I think Godwin's going to at least get three to four targets when he does that. So I think over five and a half receptions, Chris Godwin is a good play. So after we got through our picks, I was going to go ahead and, and just mention a couple other ones that I liked. I don't have Godwin in any of my picks, but I was going to mention that I love his numbers too, because I think we've seen that when Mike Evans is singled, he will kill you. So I, I don't think they're going to have him on an island a lot, which is going to open a lot of doors for Godwin in this game. So I agree with that 100%. Same scenario, other team. I think after what happened the first time, Todd Bowles is in no way going to let Tyree Kill do what he did the first time, 200 yards in the first quarter, which is going to leave Travis Kelsey wide open. He is the security blanket for Patrick Mahomes. His receptions total is only seven and a half. The guy's been in not getting nine plus almost every game this season. It's ridiculous. Um, it is more juice than you would like. So if you wait till closer to tomorrow, uh, uh, tomorrow, Sunday, um, this might creep up to eight and a half because right now it's minus 150 at seven and a half. So it's kind of telling you that it with, with that much juice for, for a prop like this at minus 150 plus seven and a half, it's probably going to get pushed to eight and a half before the game starts. I'd still take it there at a better number. I think Travis Kelsey probably has double digit catches in this game, especially with again, after the first time and knowing Todd Bowles being the former Jets head coach, uh, seeing how he handled, in division teams the second time around versus the first time around for a few years as, as the head coach of my football team. Uh, I think he's going to do whatever he can to make sure Tyreek Hill doesn't beat him. If it means Kelsey beating them, so be it, but he will not let Tyreek Hill beat them this time. So I think Kelsey gets into double digits with his catches. A note on Kelsey too, which not many people realize he's the same age as Gronk. They're both yeah. 31 years old. We all talk about Gronk being the greatest tight end of all time, and we think these are the two greatest quarterbacks of all time playing in the Super Bowl. Tight end might be up for debate, too. Gronk definitely is ahead of Kelsey right now, but again, they're the same age. Kelsey doesn't look like he's slowing down, and uh, Gronk definitely is towards the end of his career. Kelsey wins another one, puts together a couple more seasons like he's been having. Uh, that debate is, is definitely worth having. My number two, Joe, my favorite thing about the Super Bowl – prop bets are the crossover bets between okay. sports okay i got a couple ones that i absolutely love but my favorite is steph curry total points uh a half point versus tampa bay total points so the way i'm seeing it is tampa bay at most i think scores maybe 30 31 points and Golden State just played Dallas last night, and Dallas gave up 149 to them, and Ubre dropped 40. So now they're playing again on Saturday, and I'm like, I mean, if they're dropping 149, they're going to probably key in more on Ubre. and I think Steph, Saturday night, ABC, prime time, I think he could drop right. 40. So I, I like Curry. There were a couple other ones uh, I love too that I'll mention. Godwin uh, was plus 2.5 receiving yards to Iowa total points against Indiana. Okay. So, again, I'm figuring Iowa will score 75 to 80, but I think Godwin's going over 100. I really do. Agreed. So I think he's – my favorite one that got canceled was Villanova total points minus 13.5 against the total points scored in Bucks chiefs game. That's so a good one. So I like the under – so again, I was thinking Villanova against Xavier, the game's canceled. So the bet's a push now, but they were playing Xavier. I was like, Villanova's going to score 75 or 80. 
I'm thinking I don't see Chiefs Bucks going over 60. So I think hey, if you're good. leaning under, if you're leaning under, you have to, you would have right. to go over the open. So those were three of my favorites, but the curry one, the curry one is my favorite because I think Steph's going to have about 35 or 40, and I think that should be good. All right. My last prop that I'm actually officially on the record picking, and then I'll like you, I'll get to a couple other ones that I liked. Um, over four and a half total sacks in the game. The Chiefs are missing both of their starting tackles. Tom Brady historically has had issues with Spagnuolo defenses. I could see both quarterbacks getting sacked four times, and the total <laughs> is four and a half. Yeah. So, again, considering that I could see both of them getting sacked four times and the over is four and a half, uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to hit that. And it's plus 120, so you're actually you're getting a pretty good, good number on that. So yeah, that's, that was my number one. Now, some of the other ones that I, I went through that I liked, uh, like you, I, I liked the, the Godwin yardage ones. Um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire combined rushing and receiving 48 and a half. I like the under there. I think last week or excuse me, two weeks ago in the championship game, we saw more of a dose of Williams because Edward Delaire isn't up to speed after missing so much time. And I don't see them trusting a rookie in this spot after missing so much time. I think they're going to rely more heavily on Williams than people think. So I would go under 49 and a half combined rushing receiving yards. That's fine. Just get me a touchdown. Kelsey, I got him getting – there you go. That's it. Just one yard <laughs> Works touchdown. Works for right. us. Um, tra- <laughs> Travis Kelsey, I said I see him in double-digit receptions. The total, the number that I officially picked was over seven and a half. Uh, his receiving yards is 98 and a half. If I see him getting double-digit receptions, he's going over 100 yards. A fun one that's really going to keep you on the edge of your seat the whole game, Tom Brady, over 0.5 rushing yards. Oh, I was thinking about betting the over. Over 0.5 rushing yards is plus 146. He's done it in seven games this season. Think about it. I have the Chiefs winning this game, which means I don't envision the Bucs in a kneel-down scenario. Correct. So he's not getting that negative. And at some point, whether it's at the goal line, whether it's a, a third and one near midfield, you got to imagine there's going to be a Tom Brady sneak at some point in this game. Yes. So over 0.5 rushing yards at plus 146. And the last fun one, just, just to throw away here, uh, the Gatorade color. The favorite is orange. The favorite is orange. You're going purple. Red. Nope. Red is plus 300. Both teams are red. So I got to think there's maybe a chance that the Gatorade's red. Both teams are red. They're not wearing both red, obviously. The Bucks are wearing white. The Chiefs are wearing red. But both teams' primary color is red. So I'm going to say plus 300 for red. And that's my favorite flavor of Gatorade anyway. So why not? Uh, There's a couple fun ones. Uh, One that I heard on the radio, but I could not find, (laughs) that was was a combined – um, over under for America the Beautiful and the National Anthem. I've never seen that prop before, but it was interesting. Uh, so if you could find that one, anyone, and want to tweet us what the number actually is, I looked for it in multiple places, couldn't find it. But that, that one just popped to the top of my head and just wanted to throw that out there. Let's crowdsource and see if we can get a number on that because I've never heard of that one before. I've heard there's obviously the National Anthem prop every year. Sure. But I've never heard of a combined over So, yeah, they're combined. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. My uh my big money prop that I like like for good odds was plus four hundred. I think the first score of the game is going to be a Kansas City field goal. That's my okay. that's my long okay. shot prop that I like. There was a bunch. I mean, there was some that I, I don't want to get too into the. Oh league, yeah, but, no. I'm but the bl- the my favorite long ish was the plus two sixty. That's why I put it into my official on the record picks. The plus two sixty Bucks score first and and lose all right now it's that time though pj oh here we go joe tied at 13 and a half no 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 no, no. we didn't get our game picks officially yet we gave our props and now the game pick don't jump the gun here we got we're almost out of football but we're not there yet (laughs) game pick 
Uh, well, does everybody want my pick so that they can just bet against it? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> I, uh, so I told you I like the under. I like Kansas City. My final score is going to be Chiefs 30, Bucks 24. I told you what I'm doing is I'm betting Kansas City money line. And then I'm betting bucks at an inter- at an alternate spread of plus six and a half. And I'm hoping that Kansas City wins right in there so I can hit both. But I'm feeling comfortable that Kansas City will win and that the Bucks will keep it close. So that's that's how I'm playing it. But I like Chiefs. All right. My score prediction for this game is 37-34 Chiefs. Ooh. And with that, and with that, uh, because I have a nice cushion of, of being up on you by seven picks. So the best you could do is come within one. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just try to dunk on it. And instead of just giving a, a game pick or a total pick, I'm going to go ahead and parlay them for my final football pick of the year. Uh, Chiefs money line and the over under in the last hour has crept down to 55 and a half. Which yeah, is a big number. Yeah, so I'm going to go parlay Chiefs money line over 55 and a half gives you plus 200. So for my final pick of best bets for the season, I'm going to try to dunk on you with a little, little same game parlay here. <laughs> All right. Joe Malfa is that guy. So <laughs> Kansas city money line and the over a 55 and a half parlay, which is plus 200. 200. Nice. All right. Sounds good. We'll see what happens. I'm sure I'll go and six again. And uh, <laughs> that'll be a lot of fun. Trivia time, Joe. And tied as I was saying, we're tied at 13 and a half. I got a good question for you. I think it's it's really solid. Go ahead and ask yours first then. So I'm going to ask it to you first. So the Super Bowl this year is being played in Florida. And Correct. Florida is a popular destination when it comes to Super Bowls, whether it's Miami, mm-hmm. Jacksonville, or Tampa. I can't Since, remember what was the last Jacksonville one. Yeah. All right, maybe that's a new question. Go on. <laughs> Since 2000, yes. there have been six Super Bowls. This will be the seventh this year. Since 2000, there have been six Super Bowls that have been played in the state of Florida. Okay. Can you give me five of them? Okay. Go ahead. Um, the classic Steelers-Cardinals was at Tampa. That is correct. The Bears-Colts was in Miami. That is correct, too. Last year's Super Bowl was in Miami. That's three. Um, since so 2000, yes, 2000. Um, okay, there was definitely more Miami in there. Um, Colts Saints was also Miami. That's four, you just need one more, and you got a minute to play with. All right, all and right. you got three straight. I mean, you got all your strikes. None of up. the, none of the, neither of the Patriots, um, Giants games were there. Um, hmm. 40 seconds for making the easy ones that I got right away. Um, oh, one of the Patriots games from the first set of three they won was definitely there. I have three strikes to work with. Three strikes to work with. You got 20 seconds. And they won. Okay. I got three strikes to work with. I got to get one more. And I'm positive one of the Patriots' first three was in Florida. So I'm just going to guess all three of those, and one of them has got to be right. The first three Patriots Super Bowls. One of uh, them was in Florida. That is correct. There one we go. Florida. <laughs> there we so go. <laughs> let's see. Their first three it, uh, was wait, the Rams. It was, uh, it was the Eagles Super Bowl. I don't remember which Florida stadium yes. was at, but that was the one that was in Florida. It was in Jacksonville. It was oh, yep, okay. when they played the Eagles with McNabb and T.O. Yep. and all yep. that. 
Yep. And then the other one was uh was 2000 Ravens Giants. Oh, okay. In, so one near and dear to your heart. There you yes. go. Yes. Um, I, I had a feeling because you're not a Ravens fan, you probably wouldn't have gotten that one. Um, and then I I those were the two I figured you would struggle with was Eagles, Pats, and Ravens, Giants. But well done taking yeah. advantage of your strikes. Guessing I, I, I think, it, look, I, I, co- I come back to, I hate to keep picking on him because of the time that he did this, but Joe Beninati, when that, with the first trivia question we gave him, when he just like burned through them and, yeah. and wasn't paying attention to the strikes, this was the total opposite of that. I knew exactly where my strikes were and I was able to just guess all three and hope one was right. Yep. So there you go. So this will be the seventh Super Bowl since 2000 in Miami. And uh, hopefully it's as good as the Cardinal Steelers game was. Absolutely. Because that was a great game. All right. So this so Super 14 Bowl. 14 and a half. Well done. This Super Bowl is being played in 2021. Yes. So since 2000, meaning the 1999 season, 2000 Super Bowl. Onward from there. So every Super Bowl game that has been played in this millennium, twice, only twice, has the team who won the Super Bowl been number one in total offense. Surprising as that may sound, only twice. The Chiefs could become the third team. I just want you to give me the two other teams. Well, I mean, I assume it's too obvious, but is it the greatest show on turf? Is it the Rams? That is, that is one. Okay. That is one. That was the one that I got right away. The other one took me a little while to think about, but I got to it eventually. You're all right, so let me... Seconds. You're only me, 15 seconds into it, and you got all your strikes out. So it has to be the winner of the Super Bowl. Winner, Super Bowl Correct. winner. Okay, so when the Colts beat the Bears, I mean, Peyton's team had a good offense. Um, I don't think it was last year's Chiefs team. Brady never had the number one offense. Was it Rodgers and Green Bay? All right, I'm going Rodgers and Green Bay against the Steelers. Strike one. Strike one. All right. 45 I'm going, seconds into it. 45 I'm going ago. Colts and Peyton Manning against the Bears. 0 for 2. Son of a gun. Now you got 30 seconds left, and you've got one strike to work with. Oh, is it the Saints against the Colts? I think it might be the Saints. Their offense is so good that year. I can't think of anybody... 15 seconds. I mean, it wasn't any of those Giants teams. I'm going to have to go with the Saints against Colts. That's it. Oh, thank God. <laughs> That's it. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I, thought, I knew I, I knew they had a good. Have, I, I thought with the other thing that might have tripped you up, when you got the greatest show on turf, I thought your mind might have went to the Cardinals that Kurt Warner also was in charge of, but you never they went down But they never – they didn't so, win. They, they, they I didn't mean, win. They, and, they, and they didn't win, and they didn't win. So – uh, uh but there you go you got it yeah the, the saints end. i just the packers i thought was was a chance that year they won it because their offense was great but uh, now i don't i didn't go as deep as figuring out where each team was on the list um i just i just went down and saw that those were the only two that were that were that's crazy so now are the chiefs the number me one how close were one of those patriots teams or how close were the colts could it tell you yeah <laughs> Chiefs are are the Chiefs? Total they're, oh, they're the number one. Okay. okay. Yeah, oh, that's Buffalo why I said that, that's what that's what spurred me to the question. Right. You um, said right. If they, the if they were if they win, they will be only the third team to play a Super Bowl game in this millennium, where they were the uh, number one total offense team that season, which I found very surprising, especially that... in today's very very offensive NFL. Um, last year's, I guess I, I believe was the the Ravens were technically the number one total offense 
last year. So that's why the Chiefs wore it last year's. But then, like, thinking back, I thought that the, the Patriots the year against the Falcons might have been. Um, the Broncos would have been, but they lost to the Seahawks 43-8 to that time. Right. So there were, like, others. But I, I eventually right. got to it as well. Right, right. All right, yeah, PJ, that's, that's it. Final defense wins the championships. Wow. Yeah, and a good one, too. I mean, Lenardi and Super Bowl talk. That's pretty good. Hey, we did not think that was going to be the case either. Like we said last week, all football this week, and then Lenardi parachutes from the sky with uh, a, a nice gesture to hop on the show when he's in his he's in his busy season. Like, uh, what, what's Rothstein say? He's busier than an accountant tax season right now. Lenardi. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wilder. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Oh, man. So that, that's, that's like you said, as soon as you hopped off the interview with him, you got the alert on your phone that he was into his next, uh, his next bracket came out. So it's that time of he's... year for him. We'll get into that that much more starting next week. Starting next week, we turn our attention to spring training, to the NBA. Uh, We'll possibly, the guests we might have next week, will help us put a bow on this whole NFL season in the aftermath of the Super Bowl. No promises there yet. You see how guests sometimes fall into our lap with how last. Got the Daytona 500 coming up. The weekend, the I'll tell you what, that's the only one that I will, that's the only current future guest that I will go on record and say, put it in marker in your calendar. <laughs> Davey Siegel, our dear friend who covers NASCAR, uh, will be with us the week after the 500 to talk to us about his week at Daytona and preview the rest of the NASCAR year. So that's the one that you could put in marker. But that interview that, we'll is going to be like a NASCAR for dummies. We're just going to be like, Davey, <laughs> I'm telling you, just I'm literally going to one question that I already literally want to ask him because it's not something that I knew until recently of like, why are certain guys just like not capable of winning races? Like I never really knew that. Like it, I didn't realize how different like certain people, certain guys cars are than others and why certain teams are just better than others. I never knew that until recently. Have you, ever been, that one. have you ever been to a race? I've never been to a race. I've not. It's exciting the first 15 to 20 <laughs> laps and then you're going to want to take a nap the next 70 <laughs> and then you wake up for the last 20 and it's exciting again. I'll but, tell you what though, during quarantine when nothing else came back, but NASCAR was back uh, the, the new thing that they have where like there's stages to each race, it did liven things up because now instead of, like you said, first 20, last 20, you kind of come back for first 10, then you got a little bit of a gap. Then you come back to see who wins the stage. Then you, see how the next stage starts and you go away and see the next stage. So like they, they made it more exciting in that sense, but that's all, you know what? That's all for down the road. We said we were going to only talk football this week and we didn't. And now we we're talking, something else. Times we're talking something else now. So no, no more football, Super Bowl Sunday. Can't wait. Uh, this is a huge game for legacy and I can't wait to talk about it next week. Go Hopefully another classic looking yep. back historically, we've been spoiled with how many all time classic Super Bowls we've gotten to watch. If you think about it, I mean, in the last 10 to 15 years, there's a lot of games on that list that are way up there. There have been some good – the Eagles-Patriots Super Bowl from start to finish was one of the best football games you'll ever see. Tom Brady didn't – the Patriots didn't punt, he and they lost three, the game. <laughs> all three of those – all three of those in a row, Patriots against the Birds, it was the Seahawks, yep. Malcolm Butler interception. The Falcons. It was the Falcons, 28-3, and, and it was the Eagles. 
All wow. three of those, classics. The, the two Patriots against the Giants, classics. The Cardinals against the Steelers, classic. The Ravens-Niners, not quite, but like almost. And it's very memorable because the of the blackout and the yeah, comeback. True. It came down to the last play. Steelers-Cardinals. Al Michaels said after the miracle on ice, he says that's his favorite game. Incredible so game. take that what Incredible you game. will because – Last year's Super Bowl had the, had the big comeback and it was a great game. Yep. And it was a Jimmy Garoppolo – just bringing it in a little bit to Emmanuel Sanders away from another crazy twist in that game. Oh, man, I, forgot I mean, about that. thinking Oof. back, I mean, the, the Steelers Packers game was not up there, but like it was fine. Uh, the only real absolute two Broncos that we've Seahawks. had Broncos Seahawks and Broncos Panthers. That Broncos Panthers game was horrible. Yeah. Uh, the Broncos Seahawks game was a boat race and the, um, the Patriots Rams game. It was a good, tight, hard fought game, but it was boring as hell. Because yes, it was. Boring. I was going to say, so, those are the only three off the top of my head where I'm like, that game sucked. No, you're true. We've seen some great, I mean, even Saints Colts, the Tracy Porter pick six, the surprise onside. Oh, pick. yeah. There was, I mean, we, we've been spoiled. We've absolutely been spoiled. And I'm expected to be spoiled again on Sunday, so. Joe. Should be a lot Hope of fun. So. Thanks again to Joe Lenardi for joining us. For Joe Mouth, I'm PJ Glasser. We'll see you next time.